Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about reading between the lines. This is the ability to fill in the blanks when the seller of a property provides incomplete information. Any professional real estate investor has the full information about their own property. If the seller truly lacks the information, then that's a sign they've been grossly mismanaging the property. But then you may already know that by now. When the seller only provides a partial picture, we're left wondering what it means. The fact is, it could mean one of several things. Some sellers use the shortage of information as a way of signaling to the buyer that they have the upper hand in the negotiation. This is one of those misguided knowledge is power plays. I'll ask the seller if they're interested in selling the property. That usually brings a response like, yes, but only at my price. To which my response is, great, we're on the same page. In order for me to buy the property, I need to complete my due diligence to justify your price. I'll send you a list of minimum information I need to make an offer and a second list of what I'll need to complete the due diligence. Sometimes the seller is using incomplete information as a way of hiding something about the property. By hiding the truth, they believe they're not lying. At the end of the day, I rarely rely upon the seller's information and due diligence. I construct a new financial model that's based on how the property would operate in my hands. After all, I'm going to be using my system, my teams, to operate the property, not the sellers. They're the ones selling the property, which means they have a problem. It's not the buyer who has a problem. The due diligence falls into a few categories. Number one, the physical asset. Number two, anything recorded on title. Number three, the tenants. Number four, the operating history. And number five, the land use restrictions. The seller often constructs a financial model for the property and uses that model to justify the asking price. You might see a listing that promotes an 8% cap rate. They supply a simple financial model that lists taxes, insurance, and a tiny provision for maintenance as the only expenses. Sure, the cap rate could be 8% for a short period of time if you don't maintain the property and if you don't hire a property manager, but that's not real. It doesn't work like that in the real world. Let's dig into these five due diligence areas. So number one, the physical asset. This due diligence requires a combination of physical inspections and engineering reports. It includes the Phase 1 environmental. I recently read an 80-page Phase 1 report produced by the seller that had a long list of contamination incidents. The bottom line was that the property was clean and a Phase 2 sampling of the soil was not required. Wait a minute. There was a gas station nearby. There were all of these incidents over the years. The property next door is known to have contamination. But somehow, you've concluded that this property is clean and no further study is necessary. Hmm. Number two, anything recorded on title. This is where you actually read that lengthy title report, word for word. You're looking for anything that could cloud the ownership, restrict your use of the property, or represent a future liability. Number three, the tenants. If you're relying upon the income from the existing tenants to justify the investment, you need to verify that the tenant information is accurate. This is a simple exercise in forensic accounting. I require the bank statements along with a detailed financial report for the past 24 months. I've seen situations where the seller produced a rent roll, but when you look at the bank account, the money didn't match the assertion being made by the seller. Number four, the operating history. This is the one item I rely upon the least. After all, they messed it up. That's why they're selling it. Why would I copy what the seller did? I'll use that in negotiation, but I'm really not going to rely upon it. And finally, land use restrictions. This one is one of my favorites. I often see the seller make assertions about improvements that can be made on a property. 
I don't take these at face value. I consult with the city. I consult with an urban planner who's an expert in the area. I once performed due diligence on a property where the proximity to the airport meant that the airport authority had drawn a development restriction boundary due to noise. That boundary was shown on a map with a thick black line, probably drawn with a marker. But the scale was such that the thick black line represented about 90 feet in width. It was right at the property of interest. It introduced 90 feet of uncertainty in terms of where the permanent structures could be located on the property. Of course, the seller completely discounted the building restriction. Only a consultation with the airport authority would answer the question. And the airport told us they would require 60 days just to answer the question. And they would need to consult with their engineers in order to answer it. In the meantime, we should interpret the drawing conservatively and assume that we cannot build. If I'm not going to depend on the seller's information, why would you ask for it? Well, because if you catch the inconsistency, now you've got a ton of negotiating leverage. You can argue that the real estate broker has a duty to disclose this information now that they know about it. Any future buyer would have the same issue with that secret being hidden. As you think about that, learn how to read between the lines. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.